Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. July of 2017, just last year, last summer, life for a man named Fei Yen, a Chinese-American, was going great. He was an MIT professor. That's a pretty good deal, right? He was married to a high-powered international business attorney. And just recently, he had done really well in the stock market. In the course of just a couple months, he made 120000 Dollars after successfully making just a couple trades in a, in a couple of American companies. You see, Mr. Yen was smart enough to jump in and buy stock in two companies just before they were acquired by a massive conglomerate international company. And as soon as news broke that these two American companies were acquired by this large international conglomerate, their stock skyrocketed, and all of a sudden, guess what Mr. Yen did? He sold his stock and he cleared about $120,000. That's a good day. I wouldn't mind being able to pull off something like that. But um, So life was going good for him in July 2017 when he was a professor, married to a lawyer, making good money. And man, he was having a run. Well, that time came to an end pretty quick. On July 12th, 2017, federal agents walked into Mr. Yen's office and arrested him. Life ain't going so well now. They were accusing Mr. Yen of insider trading. Insider trading, for those of you who don't know, is receiving information about publicly traded companies that is not available to the general public, and so then you make trades upon those, that information in an unfair way so that you make money when other people are not able to make money. And what they were accusing him of was insider trading. You see... What he's being accused of was the fact that his wife was the lawyer overseeing the merger and acquisition of these two American companies. And so what they were saying was, Mr. Yen's wife would come home and say, hey, I got an idea. I know that these two companies are going to be bought by this multi-billion dollar international business because I'm the one negotiating the deal. You should buy stock now. And then when they get bought and it's public, sell it because it's going to go way up. Brilliant, right? That's really, really smart. And that's what they were accusing him of. But here's the big question I have for you. You might be curious about. How in the world did the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, federal agency that oversees this, how did they find out about Mr. Yen and all the insider training? Because it's his wife. Did they wiretap his house? No, they didn't do that. Was his wife a rat, and did she tell on him to the SEC? Nope, she didn't do that. Were they tracking his accounts and watching the balances and seeing what he was buying and selling? They weren't even doing that. You know what Mr. Yen did? Mr. Yen did what every brilliant criminal does. He Googled the answer. He literally typed into Google, how does the SEC find out if you, how you do insider trading? So can you imagine the day at the office at the SEC there? It's like, hey, Carl, you got to check this out. This guy just made 120 grand and literally Googled, how do I get away with insider trading in Google? And they, we might want to check this guy out. 
Oh, my goodness. Mr. Yan had a rough go at it. He's fined a lot of money. His wife was fired, and uh, life is not going so great for him today. So let me tell you this. Whether you are an investor in the stock market or not, whether you play in the stock or stocks or not, it doesn't really matter today because every person in this room is an investor in the good, abundant life market. Whether you know it or not, you are constantly making investments into what you believe will bring a return of a good life to you. You are constantly planting things, time, money, energy, into investments of activities or friends, maybe a spouse or the college that you choose, a career that you're going into. Financially, all of us are making investments into things that we believe will give us a return of a good life. And lucky for us, the good life market does not have a rule against insider trading and getting tips. Because our passage that Mike read for us this morning has one of the greatest tips for the good life, for an abundant life. Here's what Jesus says. He says, do not make all of your investments for a good life in the things of this earth. What you need to do is make all of your investments in things of heaven. And he even goes on to say, I've got a guarantee about them. Because if you make all of your investments into having a good life into things of this earth, you'll lose it. I promise you. But if you make all of your investment into having the good life, the abundant life, into the things of heaven, I promise that you will never lose that investment. That's the tip. Now, even though Jesus guarantees this, what we've got to do is examine because he actually is going to back this up for you here today to make sure that you are willing to make that commitment. Because even if you've had any experience in making investments, you know that people that are advising you, you still sometimes wonder, like, are they telling me the truth? Do they know what they're talking about? I see that they've got a lot of experience. Maybe they've got some degrees hanging on the wall. But you still pause to say, how do they really know that investing in X, Y, or Z will bring a return to me. And Jesus actually wants you to investigate with him. So this morning we're going to look at this. First of all, the options that he lays out for you. Then we're going to see your obstacle to making that investment. And finally, we'll look at the outcome. Let's start with your options. Jesus makes it really clear in verses 19 and 20 that there are really only two options about investing for a good life. The investments that you make. And the first thing Jesus wants you to do is see a difference there are only two ways he describes this. He says you can either invest into the treasures of the earth or you can invest into the treasures of heaven. And he's going to want you to see the difference in two ways. First of all, their duration. Notice he uses parallel language here. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Moth and rust will destroy. Thieves will break in and steal. But you should lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Moth and rust do not destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. And the first argument that he's going to make to you about where your investment goes is, how long will it last? You see, when we invest in things of this earth, as opposed to the treasures of heaven, Jesus says this, you might have a short run at it, you might get a little bit of return here and now, but over the course of time, moth and rust, he's using some analogies there of the earth, will destroy your investment. It will not last. But if you make your investment into that which is in heaven, he says, I promise you that it will be kept safe. 
One is temporary, Jesus is saying. One is eternal. One is a safe investment. One is unsafe. One is a protected, guaranteed investment. The other is unprotected and is dangerous. That's the first thing he's going to tell you. The second thing he wants you to look at is this. Not just how long they'll last, but he also wants you to look at their duration. Pardon me. Their duration. You see, Jesus says both of them are promising the same thing. They're both treasures. Treasures on earth or treasures in heaven. They're offering the same thing, but they come from a different source. One comes from the earth. The other is of heaven. Now, there's a story Jesus tells in Luke chapter 12 that's going to help you understand what the difference between treasures on earth and treasures in heaven are. I'm going to read a little bit for you, but in Luke 12, just so you know what's going on, Jesus is teaching a bunch of people in the crowd about different things. He's teaching about what it means to follow him and what it means to make a commitment to him. He's telling them about how good his father is to them and that they need to have the courage to commit their lives to them. And so it sounds pretty spiritual, right? Jesus is teaching. And all of a sudden, the guy in the back hollers out to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, will you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? Now, just imagine Jesus is surprised for a moment. He's sitting here trying to teach them about how good the Heavenly Father is. He's trying to teach them, you're going to have to have conviction to stand with me when people are against you. And this guy can't get his mind off of all the things that he has to divide with his brother to make sure he gets his share. And he says, Jesus, you seem to be a smart guy. you got a lot of authority and power. Can you leverage that to tell my brother to make sure I get half of all the stuff of my parents? Jesus probably rolls his eyes and says, hey, man, who made me a judge over you? That's not my business. But I'll tell you what my business is. And Jesus says this to the man. You better be very, very careful about covetousness about what you feel about stuff, about what you think about wealth and possessions and material things, you got to be careful because money is powerful. Money is dangerous. Yes, it can be useful. Yes, it can be necessary, but you got to be careful. And he has this one thing he wants to tell him. Your life does not consist in the things that you have. Then he goes on to tell a story. He says there's a man in chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, down in verse 16. There's a man who's rich, and he has a land that produces crop, and in this particular year, the crop is overwhelming. It's massive, meaning he went from being wealthy to super wealthy. He went from being one percenter to 0.1% in the society, in the culture in which he lived. He's got all kinds of stuff, and he says, I want to tell you about this man. This man thought, okay, now that I'm super wealthy, what should I do with all my stuff? What should I do with all this crop that I've gathered? He goes, I've got an idea. I'll tear down all of my barns, and I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to stuff away all of this possession, and then I'm going to lean back and say, Soul, boy, you've worked hard. I want you to sit back, relax, and enjoy for yourself all the wealth that you have. And Jesus tells at the end of the story, let me read it for you down in verse 19. He's saying for the man, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods, material possessions laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him in verse 20, you fool. Fool is just a person who lives their life without regard to God. You fool. This night, 
Not your stuff, but your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, here's the chilling question he asked for this man, who has ample wealth to do whatever he wants. He says, the stuff that you have at the end of verse 20, whose will they be now? Who gets it? And then in verse 21, Jesus says this, so is the one who lays up for himself, lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Let me lay that story out for you as the difference between laying up treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. You see, the source of those is one is of earth and one is of heaven. Earth offers for us temporary things for our personal blessing. That's the idea of what a treasure of this earth is, is how can I use wealth, power, influence, money, fame, possessions, all these things, and leverage them for my personal benefit. You see, that's the promise of the earth, that this is all you've got. Eat, drink, and be merry. It's temporary. You got one shot. If the Lord is good to you, you might get 70, 80, 90 years. Don't waste it. Suck every ounce of pleasure out of life for yourself because this is the only run you got. That's the treasure of the earth. But the treasure of heaven is different. Heaven offers an eternal relationship that makes you a blessing to other people. You see, Jesus said at the end there, he said, this man is someone who laid up for himself treasures that he thought it was just for him, but what he was not was rich in his relationship with God. And the treasure of heaven is an eternal relationship with your Father that then makes you a blessing to other people. And I just think about those that I've been near who have been on their deathbeds or near the end of their life. You know the things that they call to memory or want around them? is not their things, but the people that matter most to them. Just this Thursday, I'm meeting with about eight of our young guys who are in ministry in the Columbus area that we work with and study with and help coach. And Don Duchel comes in for about an hour and starts sharing with them. He wants to talk to those people. And Don, for about an hour, starts telling story after story of times in his life, whether it was his 25 years at camp up in northeast or northwest Ohio with people, or people that he's taught the gospel and baptized. And for the course of an hour, these young men listen to Don tell stories not about his stuff, not about his possessions, but about the people that matter most to him. You see, the treasure in heaven is a relationship with God that then makes you a blessing to other people. So Jesus wants you to see the difference between these two, but he also wants you to make a decision. He doesn't want you just to know the difference. Jesus doesn't want you right now just to say, I get the difference between earthly treasures and heavenly treasures. He wants you to do something about it. And I hope that you've come here this morning, not just to increase what you know, but to actually do something different in your life that you'll behave differently, that you'll live differently. You see, Jesus doesn't say there are two different treasures. He says to you in a command form, lay up. That's action. You've got to do something. He wants you to get active in what you're doing. If you look down at the end of Luke chapter 12, down in verse 32, he says this. After this story about that Jesus tells about possessions, he goes on to say, don't be anxious about stuff. Your father knows what you need. Verse 32 says this. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now here's something very practical. He says, sell your possessions. Give to the needy. 
Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with treasure in heaven that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. On a very practical level, here's what it is. Treasure in heaven is accumulated when we are distributing the treasures of earth to other people. That's how this works. See, it's kind of counterintuitive. You see, Jesus doesn't want us just to know the difference. He wants us to live a difference. And this is done with, on a very practical level, your stuff, your things, your possessions. We're talking all of this month and next month about learning how to be generous people. And one of the things that Jesus presses on us is says, look, what do you do with your stuff? Your stuff reveals where you're laying up your treasure. Our willingness to distribute the treasures of this earth to those who are in need is how we accumulate treasure in heaven. Generosity of spirit is the way we invest in heaven. But we've got an obstacle to this. Back in our text, when Jesus said, don't lay up treasures on earth, but in heaven, we've got an obstacle. And right in the middle of this passage, Jesus tells us what that obstacle is. He says in verse 22, that the eye of the lamp, the eye, pardon me, is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You see, what Jesus is saying is what we need to do to be able to become generous people, to store up treasures in heaven, not on earth, is to be able to see clearly certain things. A good eye gives body light. A bad eye makes a body dark. What he's saying is your eye has to be able to see clearly. And there are some things we have to be able to see if we're going to store up treasures in heaven. The first thing is we've got to see God's nature, who God is. There's a story in Matthew chapter 20, a parable Jesus tells about being a master over a vineyard. And he says he goes out and hires people at 6 o'clock in the morning to work in the vineyard. And then three hours later at 9, he hires some more people. And then at noon, he hires some other people. And at the end of the day, he hires people about 5 o'clock and the workday is over at 6. And he agreed with each group of people to pay them a denarius, a day's wages. And so, as the day has ended, the manager calls all the people there and he begins paying the denarius. First to those who work for an hour and then four and then goes on and he pays them. And those that work the entire day come up and guess what they're thinking? Oh man, those guys made a denarius. They only worked an hour. So, okay, one hour equals one denarius. They start doing a calculator. I just made like 12 days worth of money. And they walk up and the manager hands them a denarius. And in Matthew chapter 20, verse 15, Jesus borrows this phrase. He says, their eye was bad. They looked at him and they were disgruntled and they were frustrated. They looked at him and said, wait a minute, this isn't fair. You see, your generosity is tied directly to how you believe God has been generous to you. You see, these people in this moment didn't think Jesus or the manager was being very generous with them or very good to them. They thought he was being wrong to them. They looked at those receiving God's or the manager's blessing and thought, they don't deserve that. I deserve more. And when you miss the nature of God specifically to you, how generous he has been to you, it makes your eye bad. You will stop being generous if you think other people don't deserve what you have to share with them. You'll stop being generous if you don't think God has been generous to you. 
If you don't realize how good God has been to you, you're going to have an obstacle to get over before you'll ever become generous to other people. And Jesus wants us to see God's nature to us. But he doesn't just want us to see his nature. He also wants us to see his plan. There's this wonderful passage in Hebrews 11. If you're not familiar with Hebrews chapter 11, it's this chapter in the Bible that has all these stories of people who had faith. People who did things by faith and they trusted what God was going to bring to them in their life. And he says in chapter 11 verse 13 about all these people up to this point who had faith. He said, these all died in faith, not having received the things that were promised to them, but having seen them. And greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You see, these people that live by faith, that trust in what God promised them, had an eternal perspective on life. You will lack a generous spirit if you view this life as all you've got. If you miss the promises and the plan of God that you have eternal life offered to you. That's what's been offered over and over as a life eternal. That you will dwell with God for all eternity and you'll have all that he has to offer you. But if you miss that, if you forget that you th- and you think your life is just temporary you'll have a very, very difficult time being generous. You see, your eternal perspective affects your earthly priorities. If you think your life is only here and now, you will be very, very tight-gripped with your stuff. One of the greatest deterrents to our giving is the belief that our earth is our final home. You and I invest in what we believe will be there ultimately in the end. And if you believe that all you have in the end is this life, That's all you're going to invest in. You've got to have a vision to see God's nature and God's plan. But let's finish with this. What's your outcome? Jesus warns us back in Matthew chapter 6 of this. You see, he says a couple things kind of interesting about treasure. And the first one is this. That your treasure, first of all, will own you. Look in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 6. He says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and your wealth. You can't serve them both together. That these things don't make bedfellows. They don't work together cohesively. That you will either serve God or you will serve money. And the one that you serve, the other one will become a servant. So for example, if you serve money, If wealth and possessions is what you serve, that you live your life for those things, that you arrange your life around those things, if money and wealth is what you serve, you will demand that God be your servant to make those things happen. But if you serve God, you will make money your servant. That's how this works. Money and God are things that work in our lives that demand our adherence, our service, our submission. See, to serve means that you, pardon me, to serve means that you calculate all of your life's decisions around maximizing what that master can give you. So to serve money means that you think about, that you calculate your entire life around how that money can maximize what it can give you. But to serve God means the very same thing, that you calculate your entire life. You make all your decisions around the idea of how can I maximize what God can give to me? How can I do that? 
Your treasure will own you. But not only own you, as you see at the screen, Jesus says your treasure will transform you. It has power over you. Read that phrase in verse 21 with me again in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, this is kind of a popular notion in our society today. So young people, listen up. Um, it's, it's pretty popular in modern sort of folklore right now for us to follow our heart. You know, that, that's kind of a, a notion right now that we have been told over and over that what we're supposed to do is listen quietly, attentively, and finally discover the whisper of what our heart is telling us. And if we learn what our heart is telling us, we can be true to that and follow our heart. That, that, that shows up in narratives all over the place. Follow your heart. Now, on one side, that's really good because God is interested in your heart. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 5, God pleads, Oh, that these people would have a heart in them, that they would always obey me. God promises in Jeremiah that he will take out the heart of stone when you're converted and give you a soft heart to want to follow him and be molded by him. Yes, God is interested in your heart. Proverbs 4 says the heart is where the wellspring of your life comes from. Your heart is the truest version of you. It's the real you. It's the one inside of you. But the one thing that's not true is this. Your heart is actually not an independent leader. So this notion that says, follow your heart and then you'll discover a good life is not true. Your heart is actually a follower. Notice what Jesus says. Read it again. He says, where your treasure is, that's where you'll find your heart. Not, wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to go. That's not what he says. And you see this showing up all times in our life. Right? Think about the thing that you're most passionate about right now. There was a time when you didn't understand what you're most passionate about. It could be your career, your profession. It could be an activity like a sport or maybe the band or some other performing activity. There was a time when you didn't understand it, when you weren't passionate about it, but you began investing in it, right? You began learning about that career, that sport. You began, began uh, developing your skills in that activity. And the more you invest in that, the more your heart is attached to it. We fall in love with the things we invest in. That's how this works. You see, your money doesn't follow your heart. Your heart follows your money. So whatever you decide to treasure, that's where your heart's going to go. That's what Jesus wants you to see. So if you treasure things of this earth, your heart's going to follow. But if you treasure the things of heaven, Jesus promises that your heart will follow that. How does he know that to be true? How does he understand that principle? Yes, he's our creator, most certainly, but not just our creator. He lived this himself. You see, his treasure caused him to be transformed. Remember this? He was in heaven dwelling with God in all eternity. And there was a treasure, a lost coin that he knew about. It was you and me. Those of us that have left God, that have departed from his ways, there was a treasure for him. And Jesus was transformed to get that treasure back. He took on the form of man. He lived in the flesh perfectly. He experienced the death that we deserve to die. He went into the grave and resurrected back to life. Jesus was transformed for his treasure. And when you see him as the greatest treasure life ever offers you, he'll begin to transform you into the kind of generous people 
that he wants us to be. So if you're struggling with generosity and you find yourself really maybe um, kind of greedy or tight-fisted or not unsure what to do, if you find yourself lacking generosity, start with, where's your treasure? And start seeing Jesus as the ultimate treasure of your life. And when you do, you'll become the kind of generous person he wants you to be. Let's stand and sing this song with Keith, and we will begin.